0: Hello, and welcome to Episode 6 of Turing Incomplete. I'm here with Pam Seli.
1: Hi, I'm Pam, uh, Pamasaur on Twitter. The Web of War is my blog.
0: Justin Campbell.
2: Hi, Justin Campbell on Twitter.
0: Jervon Dari. Hey, I'm at Jervon on Twitter. That's J-E-A-R-V-O-N. And I'm Len Smith. I'm IgNU, all over the internets. And uh, today I wanted to talk about productivity. So a lot of the th- other topics we have in the hopper kind of involve how productive. So things like pairing, agile, estimation, co-location, they kind of all revolve around the question, how productive are you? So I just wanted to throw this out there. How do you measure productivity?
2: Lines of code.
1: <laughs> I'm the the only metric. <laughs> how do you
2: measure productivity? Alone?
0: I think it's kind of black magic. I don't think there is a good way. Uh, and that's something we need to iron out as an industry and, or be comfortable with the idea that our ideas of productivity are very intangible.
1: I mean I feel like and and if I pick anything it's always like blank but so like for me I really it, I guess if I were to think if I were to think of the yardstick that I measure myself and sometimes others against, it probably is shipping. If you can ship, then you can build. If you can't if you can build but not ship, then it doesn't really matter.
2: Yeah, I um, think like I think but, um,
1: but there's a but <laughs> that if you ship something that is completely unmaintainable, I think we had a link about the, the net negative programmer. And so there I have been people who ship like crazy who are net negative.
2: That's what I was gonna say is like, you know, shipping features is a good good way to measure short term productivity. And then long term productivity is can you continue to ship features? And if you ship unmaintainable code just to get those things out the door quickly, you will very soon slow down in a mess of spaghetti. I use client happiness
3: as my productivity card stick. Hmm.
0: Martin Fowler has a great post on his blicky uh, about we cannot measure productivity. And I'll put that link in the show notes. But just, he just lays out the argument that it's you know really impossible to say that doing one methodology is inherently more productive than doing another one like trying to make these experiments is basically impossible because you know coming down to to what you said Justin there's a difference between how quickly you ship versus how maintainable it is versus how many bugs there are right if you look even at the individual developer you'll you'll have you know that developer that just takes the the quickest route to get the the feature out the door and you know externally it looks like he's the most productive and you compare uh them to a developer who is taking the time to you know do the boy scout rule and and clean code as they go and they'll ship less features but they'll improve the health of the code base
3: what do you think is the balance of those like say for a
2: regular company versus a startup i personally don't think it matters but some startups may disagree
0: i think that's a balancing actors never happy with i think if you're ever happy with the code that you ship you've probably over-architected it
2: they say real artist ship land
1: <laughs> real artist ship can we yeah. make a poster if we have sharian and complete t-shirts can that can can we put that on them
2: that's a pretty popular uh, phrase i'm not sure where it came from Ah, uh, bummer is that from hackers and painters and uh so steve jobs is the originator of real artist ship old saying at apple
1: <laughs> what yeah. <laughs> that what wh- wh- why would anyone say that? <laughs> well, why would you say that?
2: I think he's trying to say is like <clears throat> if you uh if you spend all your time designing something you don't actually ship anything to, you know, a user or a customer or somebody to enjoy it, then you're not really an artist. So, when are um when are you guys most productive?
1: I think it's it's kind of a balance of like for me, I kind of have to It's kind of like a feeling of, like, when I'm, like, in the groove and then I can just, like, do my thing. But it definitely is, you know, if we're doing productivity and if it's just, like, me building something by myself, then obviously it's better when I'm by myself uh, than around other people. Because I I get sometimes, if I'm working on something, like, completely by myself, I've gotten better at this over time, but I still do get this. I kind of get, like, I kind of call it, like, hyper-focus. And so... Like, basically, I lose all ability to deal with humans for a bit, and, and, like, if you bother me while I'm in hyperfocus, you will probably get yelled at. <laughs> so, like, that is when when you come up to my, my desk and I say, what do you want and what do you need? <laughs> or when people say, hey, and I say, hey, what? <laughs> that's, that's in the, you know, you aren't saying hey because you just are saying hi, you're saying hey because you want something. <laughs> Please just tell me what you want and then go away. So I can go ahead and build something. like if'm'm I'm, I'm, if I'm like trying to untangle something, especially.
2: Do you have headphones on as a clear signal?
1: The thing is that like I don't like actually doing that because I don't I don't usually listen to music. So it really, for me, that actually only works if I actually do listen to music and can't hear people. Um, I do know that it's like a social signal, but and so I, I kind of have used it for that before, but really, Really, I would prefer it to be quiet. And I don't really like listening to music when I'm working.
2: I like music if it's um, not vocal. I don't mean like instrumental popular songs. I mean like music that's meant to be instrumental.
1: You mean like dubstep?
2: Definitely not dubstep. <laughs> dubstep hurts my brain so much.
1: I actually do like dubstep. I mean, I, would, I have some, some love for our, our recently fallen turntable.fm. The Coder Room. I, that, the Coder uh, Room was basically like a really good dubstep room.
2: That was a, that was a great uh, service. And I do like the, uh, the coding while you work or something room. Um,
1: yeah. Dubstep in particular, time.
2: I don't like uh, music without a 4-4 four four beat. Like, it seems always... Um, it's, it's not a regular beat, so, like, my brain, like, waits for that next... I don't know. I can't explain it. It's terrible.
1: It's interesting that you notice the difference.
2: Yeah, I, I'm not a musician, but I do have like a little bit of musical background, I guess. But I don't know, like I don't listen to classical music too much. But there is some. I do have some on my computer. That I listen to occasionally when I'm coding. Stephane Remble, I'll put that in the show notes too. He's a great guitarist that has some really cool, like I guess, modern classical guitar songs. I like those for coding. But yeah, any kind of like electronic or like techno music. I find is good for concentrating.
3: So you guys use music to concentrate, or do you use music to tell people not to bother you?
2: Both. I think that um, it also helps me concentrate because it kind of clears my head of like other things that I might be distracted by.
1: I might also. I sometimes use music to get hyped up, but that's because yeah. I like to get hyped up. And but then but then that's also the thing of the problem of like working in close ho- proximity with other people is that I listen to like embarrassing pop music. <laughs> and I'm like, always, because you know, when you're like on the subway and like someone, someone's like doing their due diligence and they have their headphones in, you're like, dude, I totally know you're listening to Miley Cyrus right now. Because like headphones are not magical, no hearing systems. Shitty earbuds, you can kind of, you can pretty much hear what someone else is listening to, even if they have the best of intentions. You know, I worry that someone's going to listen to me he- listening to Turn Down For What and be like, what is she doing that she's listening to Turn Down For What at like 2 p.m. on a Tuesday? And the answer is that I'm getting hyped up, obviously.
0: <laughs> my pre-Pomodoro ritual used to be finding something to listen to on Spotify and putting my headphones on, and it became so ingrained that I didn't feel like I could program without it.
2: Have any of you ever used white noise?
1: Uh, I actually I haven't. We... In our apartment, my husband likes to turn on fans to make, like, DIY white noise machines. Uh, So we do that just because he... It bothers me because I'd actually... I feel like it's louder. And so that almost irritates me more because it's louder versus quieter. So I'd rather just have the street noise because then at least it's not as loud as the white noise machine you use... Or, you know, our invented white noise machine you use to cover it.
2: Yeah, I feel like... There's enough natural noise to be white noise wherever I am that um, I don't know, some, some people at our consultancy are really big on like listening to white noise or getting like a white noise generator. But I haven't found it like one way or the other to help or hurt. I've used Focus at Will, but they
3: give you options and I use the classical music. Mm-hmm. That's pretty nice.
2: So I find I'm most productive on a, um, when I'm on a team is when I'm pairing. It's impossible to do anything else except for focus on the task at hand. You don't get stuck as much because you have to bounce ideas off of. You can take, like, physical breaks, let the other person drive for a little bit if you just want to think about the problem and, and navigate for a little while. Um, so I find that, like, I am more than twice as productive when pairing. I generally agree, but I think there's
0: some places where that
2: you know falls down.
0: I think if what I'm working on is you know not really difficult, then I don't think we're twice as productive as one person as a pair.
2: Yeah, I agree, but I also think that like part of our job is like eliminating those like why are we doing these things that are not difficult. I don't know. I feel I feel like uh, delivering a feature that is even moderately complex, it's nice to have a pair bug uh, fixing a bug troubleshooting is nice to have a pair especially if you don't if you don't have the problem as yet if you're just changing like i don't know copy or designing something i guess it just depends i find it, it it helps a lot if the if both pairs are kind of on the um same skill level and also the same familiarity with the code base like i've paired people that are I think similar skills me, but are much more comfortable with a certain part of the code base and I get a little bit lost. But it's also great for knowledge transfer and I think it helps productivity as a team as time goes on to, you know, have that knowledge transfer going on.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to keep conscious of, of why you're pairing. Are you pairing to be more productive or are you pairing to share the the knowledge uh, or are you, are you pairing to, to train somebody?
2: All of the above
0: right but sometimes it's pick and choose
1: yeah i agree with len that is definitely because i i definitely also i mean we'll talk about this and we do do our we should do our a pairing episode but that people often use pairing as a mentorship opportunity and so then while yes of course there's lateral mentoring when people talk about they often mean senior to junior
2: i haven't done i've done a little bit of that but it's mostly been similar skill level I guess it just depends on the team and the project. I also find it most productive when there's a clear thing to be done. I really hate like thrashing through a backlog and not things not being ready to work on or like not having clear priorities of like what to do next.
0: For me, I think that's really true in, in the small and the large. I think it's you know true on a project that you want to see progress, that you want to be shipping something every week. And I even try to like kind of micro optimize that. Uh, if I'm working by myself, I'll have Pomodoro's and I'll kind of turn it into a game. So I'll have a goal that I want to do this one thing in the next 20 minutes. Uh, and then I'll I'll start my timer and, and try to get it done. And then I'll I'll feel uh, very proud if I get it done in 20 minutes in the, or 25 minutes. Uh, I think in that time frame, I'll be working much faster than would be possible to, to keep up for eight hours.
3: How about time of day? I notice I'm more productive in the morning than late afternoon.
1: For me, it's morning, but that also has to do with the function of fewer people being around, <laughs> or a few people being being talkative.
2: Yeah, I really like working in the morning. I do a afternoon, too. I know some people like really prefer like coding at night. I do that occasionally, but I don't think that's really healthy on a regular basis, especially if you're on a team. I used to be most
0: productive at night. I think I just got old and I don't, I don't work <laughs> as well anymore after uh, 11 PM.
3: So if someone is productive at a certain time of day, say Len back in the day at 11 and Justin in the morning, how do you balance that on a team? Because some people well, Len might be wanting to shift features at night and Justin in the day. And then when do you review each other's code and stuff like
1: that? Uh, I mean, just like if you're talking about the feedback loop I I think it actually almost, for that kind of thing, it's actually quite nice, because when you're doing code review, it's really, like, for for that particular case, it's really nice when you're working with people on a bit different cycles, because when I'm ready to, to stop, other people are getting their first code reviews in, their first reviewable code in, so I don't feel like I have to stop, and so then I'm, you know, it's a feedback thing of like, I don't really feel like I'm waiting on them to review my code because I can go review theirs and then, you know, mine will get reviewed pretty fast. You almost can count on that, that there will be at least some diversity of pace. I mean, even on the micro level, there's going to be people who aren't running on the same 20 minutes that you are. That, that helps a lot for, for the feedback loop. And if the feedback loop is wider, then that's still okay. So I guess there's
3: different types of productivity, right? It's Productivity as a developer, and then productivity with the product you're working on,
1: and productivity of the team. That's what I thought you were gonna say. So, as I mean, far the team, as the team delivers the product, but more so, there's still a little team. Yeah.
2: As far as like time of day, I think it's like, I think it's fine to work at night if the entire team is already on like an asynchronous schedule and they're comfortable communicating with each other. I think the, like as far as team productivity, I think the most important thing in programming is communication. Like communication with other developers, with the project manager or the client, um, or like communication with users, I guess you could extend to that. But I I think that, you know, if if you have a team of developers and not communicating with each other effectively, it doesn't matter if they're in person or remote or if they're working at the same time or different times, are going to have problems. So if you have a really cohesive team, people working at night is is not an issue, or, or I should say at different times or asynchronously, I think it could be fine. But I think that if you have problems with developers communicating with each other, then that sort of like asynchronous
1: workflow might not work as well. Right, I mean, you could say, just to be not so nice, you could say that communication is important to everything. True. So, I mean, it's kind of like, but I, I still think it is a valid point because it's almost, it's like a level zero kind of thing. And I think people don't respect it enough. I mean, I'm, I really geek out about process stuff and culture stuff. And so much of it is just basic communication. And I wish that, like, everyone had read, a, like, one of the basic communications book books, like, you know, they're, like, at least some of, the, like, the cheesy, easy-to-read business ones, like Never Eat Alone, uh, How to Win Friends, all of those, once you read one of them, you've read all of them, because all they say is, <laughs> what happens when you treat people like they're people with thoughts, words, and, you know, thoughts, actions, and feelings of their own? Uh, they start to respect you. <laughs> so, and I, I also think that, you know, respect is actually another topic that, it's kind of nebulous, and I, I feel like kind of another level zero for me working with anyone. Right. That if I don't feel respected, then it's where we're, we're going to have issues. Yeah. So, I mean, what do, you, what do you do? So, if you're in a situation where you feel like people aren't communicating very well, like you feel like you're out of sync, you feel like you don't know what's up, like how do you fix that?
2: So the biggest example that comes to mind for me is being on a um, remote on a team that was not primarily a remote team, so maybe you have eight developers and only two of them are remote, and the developers on site have never worked remotely, so they don't they're not familiar with um
1: yeah or you like, even have like, like the one being you have the island problem
2: yeah um, so I felt really out of sync on teams like that, especially in different time zones if you're remote in the east coast and you know Hippies in the West Coast—they don't start working until like ten thirty Pacific. So it's like two thirty. Did you say
1: hippies on the West Coast?
2: <laughs> yeah, I was making a joke.
1: Darn hippies working at ten a.m. It's because they have to go to eight a.m. yoga. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. I mean, like, and then you gotta you know stop for green tea, and then it's a whole business.
2: No, yeah, but if you don't like get in the office at you know until like ten or eleven Pacific, that's what one or two p.m. Eastern. And, you know, me personally, I'm I'm done working at 5 or 6 Eastern at the latest. But, yeah, I I think communication is really hard um, if you're a solo remote developer on a team. Um, But I've also, like, run into problems uh, on an on-site team where people kind of have maybe, like, a get-off-my-lawn kind of complex where everybody wants to just kind of go on their own and do their own thing and doesn't want to be bothered. Um... And they kind of take ownership of individual pieces of an application or, or an infrastructure and, and won't anybody else work on it. I think that's kind of a red flag, too.
1: Yeah, that's also just just dangerous when you have, it really worries me when that happens of, you know, it's the bus factor, which I love as a term and think is still very relevant.
2: Yeah, no, and the bus factor is not only, like, if you get hit by a bus, but it's also like, oh, this person quits.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, but that's but that's how you quantify bus factor, right? Is that, you know, if they bailed out, you know, and they're like, you know, I'm done, y'all, and left, <laughs> uh, you know, in one day, would you be completely, you know, out of sorts?
2: Yeah, or worse, so. you can't get, if this person's, like, underperforming, you can't get rid of them because they're the only one that knows how to do anything in that in that area.
1: Oh yeah, I always think that that's just a that's just a made up thing. But that's because I'm, I'd I'd rather deal with the pain of, you know, untangling something than the pain of working with someone who is only there because they're the one who knows how to untangle it.
2: There's a uh, there's a book called The Phoenix Project, which is about um, I think it's about like operations, uh, in a company and. I forget the term, the the name they assigned to this person. I'm just going to call it Bob. They basically said that you know Bob is in control of you know certain things and the expert in a certain area, and then everybody comes to Bob with all their problems with that certain area, and nobody else will learn that piece of technology or, or that that one thing because you know Bob knows it, and we'll just go to Bob with everything. And that's not necessarily Bob's fault or the team's fault, but as a manager um, or as an organization it's good to remove Bob from that role and let everybody else step up and kind of fill the gap.
0: I think that's something that's solved by pairing too. Everyone should be pairing on, on some part of the code base. Again, if part of your motivation is to you know spread team knowledge, there should be no knowledge silos. There should be no Bob's code. It should just all be, you know, collective code ownership.
1: I mean, I think there's also a space in between, right? When like, as long as, as long as the person who understands something is greater than one, I'm pretty happy. Uh, I'm also pretty happy if, you know, if pairing is something people do at least every once in a while, if not all the time. Uh, but, I mean, that's just me. I'm, I'm generally also about meeting people where they're at. And I think when you, you know, just like, just like TDD, if you say that this is the one true way to do things, then a lot of people opt out completely because they feel like they can't ever get there.
2: Yeah, I struggle with that a lot because I know like a lot of best practices that I believe in, but I'm also want to be like sensitive to not forcing you know workflow on somebody else. But I think it's just like a matter of, I guess like how you communicate things, how you how you bring people up to speed, how you uh, I think it's important to like get input from everybody on the team and not just have one person dictating a a workflow or let everybody solve it on their own and then. that kind of grow organically so do you guys think
3: there are ways to measure productivity or are we saying that (laughs) you can't
1: i mean i think the idea of of metrics is its own thing i really think there's for metrics there's kind of you know i understand that we have to have them and so i use them however once i'm once for once i'm given a metric I know how to use it. It's really, so I, I think of, like, if you were an overachiever in school, like Pam Selle, uh one of the first things you did was look at the syllabus and look at the percentages that everything breaks down into and then figure out where you should focus your time because those are the parts that matter. So any time you add metrics to something, you make it a gameable system. So that's kind of where the metrics associated with probability, like... So, or, sorry, with productivity. <laughs> so the metric associated with productivity. So you say, so if I say it's shipping, then the but is, you know, you also say, well, we also have to have metrics on quality and you measure quality by having a low defect count. So, you know, in defects or, you know, whatever, bugs. Um, so, however, that means you just incentivize people to never count bugs. If I never find any bugs, and they don't exist, right? So you're just gaming the metrics.
0: So I think the closest proxy we have for measuring productivity is the idea of velocity in Agile, where you have you know, your storyboard and any feature you estimate and give a number of points to. And you, know, you can do various forms of estimation to try to make that number more reasonable. And uh, in that flow, a bug does not count as a point. So the idea is that over time, you'd be able to average your velocity, uh, which is how many points worth of stories you complete in a week. And if you do a crappy job and are burdened with technical debt, that does not give you points uh, if you need to stop and refactor. If you have a dozen bugs, uh, those do not give you points when you complete them. And I think it's a pretty inaccurate system, but it's the most accurate system we we
2: can come up with. There's a quote that uh, all models are wrong, but some are useful. And I think we use that in programming sometimes, but I guess it could also apply to metrics on things. Yeah, yeah I, re- I really like the, um, the Agile point system when it's done correctly.
1: What happens when it's done incorrectly? <sighs>
2: then the the output, the artifact, which is, you know, how productive your team is, or, you know, estimating when you can deliver something into the future, those then just become wrong. And if it's done really wrong, then uh, people just hate the process and loathe it, but it still goes on anyway. I've only been on like one or two teams that out of like a half dozen that have, I, I believe, have done it correctly. And That's been a very pleasant experience. If you have a really good flow with it, it, it can
0: be amazing because it's turns every weekly sprint into a game you look at the stories on the board for that week and you're pretty confident that that is going to be what you you ship in a week and it gives the business you know a lot of confidence that that they can plan accurately and you just feel great when the week's over and you you get all the stories done
2: i could talk for three episodes about agile i think we should
0: (laughs) so you want to talk about
3: like productivity as a developer versus productivity for the client or shipping
2: features I guess one thing we didn't talk about is like tools we use for productivity.
1: I think that'd be a good, like you could actually list your tool as your pick for the week. I was going to say
2: like, you know, some people use like Pomodoro to stay in the flow. Um, For those that don't know, that is setting a timer for 25 minutes, working on one thing and and kind of planning what you're going to get done in those 25 minutes. And then after those 25 minutes, taking a five minute break. I think it might be a little more complex than that, like three minutes or something and two minutes or something else. But I just take a five minute break and that, Helps me, uh, you know, knock it down the rabbit hole of, you know, getting way off base of what I was trying to do in the first place. It can also help if you're pairing because pairing can be very intense and uh, draining. It helps give you, you know, a scheduled break where you're not, where you can kind of refresh for a few minutes before you get back into it. Uh, we can also go into tools such as, you know, like your text editor, your your operating system, like anything that you use to, like the tools you use to write code can or help with productivity, depending on how you use them and how you have them configured.
0: For me, backing up to Pomodoro's, the break's the hardest part for a lot of people to conform to. It's hard to stop when you're deep in the flow. But, you know, like you said, it's important to clear your head and you might be writing a lot of code, but you're just so being short-sighted, potentially, that you don't, you're writing code that you might not need.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have multiple times gotten stuck on something and, you know, spent hours like trying to like concentrate really hard on it and then i just like get up and walk away and then 10 minutes later it just like pops in my head like that the clear and easy answer or the the simplest thing that could possibly work yeah i don't use pomodoros
3: i've tried but i usually just walk around every so often or go get some water sometimes i use a smaller glass for water so i'm forced to get up to go get more smart Um, but it's a really hard thing to balance like to not go down that hole or to just take a breather every so often.
1: I mean, I've also used, there's a, a an anti-RSI tool, and there's a couple of them. So a private stress injury, which is common among engineers, among software engineers, uh, and anyone who works at a computer. Uh, but part of the, if you have an anti-RSI program on your computer, is it tells you to take 15-second breaks every so often. So, uh if you know the rule for your eyes, that every 20 minutes you should look away somewhere 20 feet away for 20 seconds so that you are doing less damage to your eyes by looking at computers. So it's kind of that, but also for repetitive stress. And then after, and I, I like it because actually the kind of it has those like very mi- micro breaks decently often. And then like in, so pomodoro, I believe the break Milan. If it, I thought it's you know twenty five minutes and then five minutes is the the break.
0: Yeah, and then every every few pomodoros you take a, a longer break.
1: Yeah, exactly. So like so the, the RSI one, it, it's kind of like that. That like after you know a while, you end up with a a, a full fifteen minute or twenty minute break. And that is like you your job now because it actually you know you have it set up to block your whatever you're doing on your computer. So you have to just walk away and go do something else. Go walk laps or go get water, go get a snack. And So I do like that.
2: I call the longer break lunch.
1: But you only get one of those unless you're a hobbit. So, I mean, I I take, (laughs) you know, like my second season. And then there's tea time. So you have to have snacks for tea time. Yeah, you know, so it's about like about 3.30 when like there's still like a good amount of productivity at the end of the day. But you need to take a break. So, so, tea time, you know, or you do it at three if you want to, like, go out and go get gelato or something.
2: <laughs> do you actually get tea?
1: I, yes, I often get tea. I also go get snacks. So, gelato is a real example.
3: Well, I've had tea time with Pam before.
2: Uh-oh. Yes.
1: <laughs> it is a regular thing that I really do. Because, uh, again, so my afternoon is kind of my, like, I'm, I'm really dragging. Uh, I'm not really dragging. I just, it's, I'm, all my social stuff is turned up. So that's actually for me, you know, I I think when we, when we do talk about pairing, that's one of the, the challenges I have is that when I'm sitting next to someone, I want to talk to them. So that's kind of one of the things that happens is actually because I'm highly social. So when I'm, you know, next to someone, if, you know, if something's not going the way I want it to, I might accidentally derail us by saying, oh, so tell me about, you know, so you're going on vacation next week. So what's happening with that? And then we end up, we end up chatting. Maybe, maybe more introverted people don't have this problem. But, you know, and we do kind of have more introverted people in software engineering. But for, for the extroverted, it's kind of hard not to talk to people.
2: Yeah. At the consultancy that Len, Gervon, and I work at, they play foosball uh, for break Pretty often, like, throughout the day. I think Len and I are the only non-foosball players there. We have our iPads and
0: play Hearthstone with each other.
2: Yeah, I really enjoy that.
0: I just re- I really enjoy hitting the
3: ball really hard.
1: So uh, you're going to be the one who breaks the foosball table. <laughs>
3: <laughs> there are people that hit the ball harder than me, but I strive to hit the ball really hard.
1: So do we want to do picks?
0: Sure. Do you have a pick, Pam?
1: I do. Um, so if we were talking about our tools, uh, we, the thing I just... Saw heard about yesterday is that if you're if you're an Amazon Prime person, they now have Prime Music. So for me, that means I can get my stream my my cheesy pop music ad free for free. So because I don't really Spotify because the ads bother me. So I I usually YouTube, but if you want to to listen to your your trashy pop music to get hyped up when you're upping your productivity. Check out the Amazon Prime Music,
3: Javon. Do you have a pick for this week? I just scrapped my dot files and started over. I'm um, curating what I want in my dot files and what I think is useful. So I think maybe having a my pick would be curating your dot files for productivity,
0: I guess. So yeah, dot files. Cool,
2: Justin. Um, I'm gonna pick a tool. It's uh, called Test Kitchen. I believe the website is kitchen.ci. What this is, um, it's usually used for testing like chef cookbooks, but you could really use it for anything. I use it for a command line program that I wanna make sure that works in uh, Linux as well as on my Mac. So you can write uh, test suites in different languages. I guess I'm also gonna pick um, BATS. BATS is a shell, Um, testing, that's by Sam Stevenson. So on GitHub, sstevenson slash bats. Um, But it allows you to write acceptance or unit tests for Bash, and then you can use those tests in Test Kitchen. And what Test Kitchen will do is boot up a, like, let's say Ubuntu VM on your Mac and run the test suite and then destroy the VM. But you can run this against multiple different platforms. So you could say, like, Ubuntu and CentOS and Red Hat, and it will run your tests against each one of those um, so it's very useful for developing cookbooks or developing a command line application or service that you want to work across multiple platforms. Or if you offered a, like a, a product as a company that was hosted, maybe like internally by other companies, you can make sure that your product works on multiple platforms instead of just the one that you develop on. Test Kitchen.
0: Cool. So my pick this week is a video uh, about the concept of flow. And I almost didn't want to pick it because I will never say this name correctly because there's like 42 letters in it, but it's a, a psychologist named Mihai. Chi Setmihai. And uh, he just describes flow. And I, you know, I think a secret of knowledge work is that, you know, it's not binary. We're not working or not. We can be multiple times more productive. And the concept of flow is when you're so engrossed in your work that you're just kind of hyper aware and everything else in your surrounding just disappears. And uh, it's a pretty interesting concept and if I think learning it helps you realize when you're in flow and helps you try to utilize it more and yeah, float. So I guess that's it. Show notes are at Turing.cool six and I'll uh, talk to you guys next week.
1: And follow Thanks, us on Twitter at Turing Cool.
2: Yes.
0: See ya See you guys. See ya.